Hi everybody! On Sunday, I was playing dominoes with a group of friends, and we had a blast, and talked about everything under the sun, as one does when playing dominoes. And one of the people that we happened to bring up was Tina Turner. And both my friend Janet and I were saying how much we love her forever and ever. Amen. And then, less than 48 hours later, comes the news that Tina has departed this mortal coil. I can't tell you how much this upset me. I loved Tina Turner. I still do, and I always will. But man, I am a huge fan. I'm trying to figure out how I can pay tribute to her in a meaningful way, but I know I had to play something. So I thought what I would play for you today is her duet with David Bowie of the song Tonight, which he wrote with Iggy Pop and which he performed with Tina on her private dancer tour in 1985. He was such an important person in her professional life. It was he who really set her career resurgence into motion by basically kicking the EMI Records executives in the butt and showing them what a great artist on their label that they were letting go to waste. There will be more about her next week. I'm planning a really interesting episode, which I'll tell you all about when the time comes. I know Tina's last years were spent in a great deal of sickness and pain, so I'm happy that that has passed, and I think all of us are united in mourning this extraordinary artist who really changed the history of music and who changed our culture in some really important ways. I want everybody, listen, I want you to sway with me and we're gonna sing it together tonight.
Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Today's subject is someone that probably doesn't have too many points of reference with Tina Turner, but nevertheless, I'm extraordinarily excited about presenting him to you today, the great Italian lyric tenor Cesare Valletti, who lived from December 18, 1922 to May 13, 2000. You heard him last week? singing Le Rêve from Manon, and you heard him in my great Mozart tenors episode singing opposite Leontine Price in Don Giovanni. In keeping with my usual structure, I'd like to start with a few brief examples showing you just why I am so excited about Cesare Valletti. First of all, an early studio recording of his from the year 1954, recorded under the baton of Carlo Maria Giulini and the auspices of the Teatro alla Scala. This was a complete recording of Italiana in Algeri, in which Valletti starred alongside Giulietta Simeonato. Here is a truncated version of the hero Lindoro's aria, Languir per una bella. Languir per una bella. Estar lontan, lontan da quella. E il più Oh, oh, oh. 
like only a handful of other Italian singers, Valletti was also a phenomenal recitalist, a repertoire which brought out unexpected aspects of his artistry and, for my money, places him head and shoulders above many of the other Italian lyric tenors of the past and present. We'll be sampling him in both French and German art song Anan. But first, just a little bocconcino, one of those delicious arie antiche with which so many beginning voice students worked on in their first voice lessons. This is Alessandro Scarlatti's Le Violette. Who among us, banging our heads against the wall trying to learn this piece, could have imagined that it could be done with such freshness, such ease, such a sense of delight. In this 1958 recording, we hear Valetti accompanied by the pianist Leo Taubmann, about whom we shall also hear more later on in the program. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, graziose, violette, graziose, voi vi state vergognose. Mezza scose, mezza scose fra le foglie, e gridate le mie voglie che son troppo ambiziose. Sgridate le mie voglie che son troppo, son troppo ambiziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette, violette, graziose. Rugiadose, odorose, violette. Violette graziose, violette, violette graziose. For a light lyric tenor who was a little short on top, Valetti nevertheless had one of those small voices which like Bidou Sayao, could project with ease into the spaces of a very large opera house. This is a tribute, of course, to his excellent vocal technique, one aspect of which we heard in the Rossini selection, an ability to move his voice like the wind while always staying grounded in his body and his low range. Because of that solid technique, he was able to take on certain roles that might at first blush have seemed a little too large for him, such as the title role in Massenet's Vertea. He recorded excerpts from this opera for RCA Records, which became his home label, but there's also a live recording of him doing the entire role down in New Orleans in the fall of 1956. And we're going to hear just one verse of Pourquoi me réveiller from that live performance. (laughs) 
that Valletti was an exceptionally good leader singer and I have two brief examples to present to you right now and we'll be hearing more later in the episode. First is the Hugo Wolf setting of the Eduard Mörike poem Der Gärtner. Valletti's characterization of this gardener who sees the beautiful princess riding in her coach and offers her in exchange for a single feather from her cap all of the flowers from his garden is full of such innocence and smittenness. Is smittenness a word? It should be. That also characterizes his exceptional portrayal of roles like Nemorino. This is from a live concert at Town Hall in New York that took place on the 16th of October 1958 and was released on RCA Victor Records. Valletti and Taubmann also, in 1960, released a recording of Schumann songs, which included a complete Dichterliebe that is so imaginative and so original that I think it numbers among my favorite versions. We're going to hear more of it later on, but right now I'd like to play you Ich grolle nicht, certainly the most famous song from the cycle. And what I want you to hear specifically is how for a light tenor, Valletti's voice was so well grounded in his low register that he's singing those low notes with a great deal of power and presence, just as much power and presence 
in fact, as he has in his high range. And no surprise. One of the things I love about this Dichterliebe and about Valletti in general is his rhapsodic and spontaneous response to the music that is so text-motivated, no matter what repertoire he's singing. very briefly about Valletti, shall we? The bare biographical facts. He was born in Rome, the son of a physician. He studied music while growing up and began vocal study with Tito Schipa, the great Italian tenor, another leggero who nevertheless was able to make the most of a relatively small voice. Both Schipa and Valletti excelled in the role of Fritz in Pietro Mascagni's bucolic comedy L'Amico Fritz. The plot concerns Fritz, a wealthy landowner who is disdainful of both love and marriage, but whose head is nevertheless turned by the young daughter of one of his tenant farmers. Predictably, but charmingly, and I hope not really creepily, they fall in love, and there's a very happy ending. The musical highlight of this opera comes with the cherry duet in the second act, where Suzelle is out gathering cherries, and Fritz joins her, and they share a beautiful connection over their shared joy in nature. Spring, flowers, and, of course, cherries. Both Schipa and Valletti left recorded evidence of their wonderful performances of this duet in particular, and both are joined by particularly vibrant sopranos singing opposite them. In fact, Schipa's 1939 recording with Mafalda Favero 
is considered one of the cornerstones of the recorded operatic repertoire. And in 1953, Valletti himself took part in a recording for Italian radio in Rome, in which he was joined by the beautiful soprano Rosanna Carteri. Because the duet divides very neatly right down the middle, in fact, in 1939, it was exactly the point at which one would flip the 78 over. So I'm going to offer you first Schipa and Favero doing the beginning of the duet, and then with the words Tutto Tace, I'm going to switch over to Valletti and Carteri. It's a long duet, but believe me, you will get caught up in the magic of both of these performances. Suzel Buondi, Dungaioro Signor, la voce mi svegliò. Che dite voi? Mi piace come canti. Oh, Signor Fiori son per me, per voi io corsi, ed oltre i fiori ho pronta una sorpresa, una primizia certo, le ciliegie, ciliegie, e son di già mature, quando la porpora vivo il Primavera somiglia un fiore fragrante roseo. Son pronta a coglierne un mazzolino, devo gettarvele. Gettare subito bella ugellino le sacro prendere. che scintillano di brina ancora son tutte roride ma è da quell'albero che sull'aurora bispiglia il passero sì, da quell'albero Oh, 
And here is that moment when we switch to Valletti and Carteri. Tutto tace, e poi tutto al cor mi parla. All is silent, and yet everything speaks to my heart.
let us resume the brief Valletti biography. He made his debut as Alfredo in La Traviata in 1947 in Bari and became well known for singing lyric roles, appearing in the smaller opera houses in Italy and debuting at La Scala in the year 1950, singing Fenton in Verdi's Falstaff. In that same year, he made his first appearances opposite Maria Callas in Turco in Italia, and he also sang with her the following year in Mexico City as Alfredo, and when she brought her portrayal of Amina in Sonnambula to La Scala in the legendary Visconti production conducted by Leonard Bernstein, Valletti was her Elvino. In 1953, Valletti made his U.S. debut in San Francisco, where he sang Werther for the first time. In December of 1953, he made his Met debut as Don Ottavio, and between then and the end of the 1959-1960 season, he sang more than a hundred performances at the Met in operas such as Manon, Barbara of Seville, Così fan tutte, Don Pasquale, La Traviata, Magic Flute, and even Alfred in Die Fledermaus. Though he was a fixture at the Met, he also sang in the major European festivals, including Gleinborn, X, the Maggio Musicale, and Salzburg, among others. He also recorded extensively with RCA Victor Records, participating in complete recordings of Traviata, opposite Rosanna Carteri, Barbara of Seville, Don Giovanni, and in a very special recording of Madama Butterfly that starred Anna Moffo, fresh from her first success in Italy, singing that role for Italian television. Pinkerton was an uncharacteristically heavy role for Valletti, and in fact, it seems as if the choice to cast him as Pinkerton was a way of offsetting Moffo's less than dramatic voice in the title role. Nevertheless, this is a favorite recording of many of this opera, and one which I have grown more fond over the years. Valletti also sang Alfredo when Moffo made her Met debut as Violetta. Now I think it's time to listen to Valletti in some of his operatic repertoire. Let's hear him in a couple more duets, including with two more of my very favorite singers. When the Met presented Così fan tutte in the 1950s, it was in an English language version prepared by Ruth and Thomas Martin. In nearly all of the performances of Così in those years, the role of Fiordiligi was taken by Eleanor Stieber. When the production was first seen, Richard Tucker was the Ferrando, and when the work was revived in the 1955-56 season, Cesare Valletti took over and offered a more, dare I say it, appropriate voice for the role of Ferrando. Because I love Eleanor so much and will take almost any opportunity that I can to play her for you, why don't we listen to a recording of the Ferrando Fiordiligi duet in a performance from December 1955. 
We begin with Ferrando's words. Always obey your heart's true feeling. how many times Valetti and Callas sang together, and I believe the last time they shared the stage together was in one of her greatest performances ever as Violetta at Covent Garden in the summer of 1958. The fact that she was not in perfect voice and had to scale her sound back a little bit only increased the pathos and effectiveness of her characterization, in my opinion, of course. I thought it would be nice to listen to the Act One duet with Alfredo and Violetta, Un di Felice, on the 20th of June, 1958. Collis's frequent collaborator, Nicola Recigno, conducts. Un di Oh, <laughs> 
Valletti's greatest roles, perhaps his greatest, we have not yet examined, although I did mention it briefly, Nemorino in Elisir d'Amore by Donizetti. 
Valletti was scheduled to sing a new production of Elisir at the Met in the late fall of 1960, opposite Elisabeth Söderström as Adina. However, Rudolf Bing unceremoniously fired him from the cast after the dress rehearsal, whereupon Valletti never sang at the Met again, though he continued to record for RCA Victor and to appear elsewhere in both opera and concert. I would like to offer you one of Valletti's many recordings of Una Furtiva Lagrima. This is a 1952 recording made under the auspices of the Rai in Rome, conducted by Gianandrea Gavazzeni. We will hear Valletti in his youthful prime, singing with such sincerity that it makes your heart melt. At least it does mine. The other thing that we should remark upon is his near-perfect legato and the way that he is able to inflect and stretch and maybe even milk phrases to their utmost expressivity without ever overindulging a la say gigli. Palpiti, palpiti, 
For the rest of the episode, I'm going to treat you to excerpts from Cesare Valletti's five art song recordings for RCA Victor, two of which were live recordings from Town Hall. First, another aria antica from Scarlatti. This is Chi vuole innamorarsi from the opera Il Flavio. Whoever is thinking about possibly falling in love should really think twice. Chi vuole innamorarsi, chi vuole innamorarsi, ci deve ben pensare, ci deve pensare. Chi vuole innamorarsi, ci deve ben pensare, ci deve ben pensare. Soggetto ogni volere di due pupille al cere, chi serve il Dio d'amor, chi serve, chi serve il Dio d'amor, il Dio d'amor, chi serve il Dio d'amor, il Dio d'amor. Chi vuole innamorarsi, chi vuole innamorarsi, ci deve ben pensare, ci deve pensare. Chi vuole innamorarsi, ci deve ben pensare, ci deve So before we get into the German leader portion of the program, I just want to offer you a few chestnuts, if you will. First, a song by the Italian composer Stefano Donaudi, who lived from 1879 to 1925. No doubt his most famous compositions are three volumes of arias in the stile antico, which were published by Ricordi in 1918. My favorite among all of these songs is O del mio amato bene, a favorite among many concertizing tenors 
It was also recorded unforgettably by the great Claudia Muzio. But for me, Valletti's recording comes a very close second. Anyone who has lived through the pains of thwarted love will be able to respond to this incredibly intense performance. The heartbreak that comes through in his phrasing is so palpable. This is artistry of the highest order. This recording was from the second of RCA's live town hall releases with Valletti and Leo Taubman, recorded on the 28th of October, 1960, and released by the label the following year. From the first of those town hall recitals, I also had to play for you another chestnut. The ever-popular Del Caballo Más Sutil by Fernando Obradors.
some of these are songs that I used to sing myself on concerts. I sang O Del Mio Amato Ben many times, certainly not as beautifully as Valletti and Taupman do it. But another one that I always loved to sing was Roger Quilter's arrangement of the traditional setting of Ben Jonson's text, Drink to Me Only With Thine Eyes. I'm going to play you the second verse. And I think it's not inapt to make a comparison here to the great Lotte Lehmann, who also was a singer of such vividness and spontaneity. Her recording of Drink to Me Only With Thine Eyes is absolutely breathtaking, and I can let the cat out of the bag now. This is episode 198, and for episode 200, in just two weeks, I will be doing a full episode, finally, on Lotte Lehmann, a singer who is right up there in my top two favorite singers of all time. But right now, let's listen to a tenor who is fast vying for a very special place in my heart, <laughs> Cesare Valletti, in the second verse of Drink to Me Only With Thine Eyes. I said the later rosy wreath, not Valletti's singing career continued through the year 1967, when he officially retired from performance. He was not even 45 years old. He did return in 1968 to sing one final role on stage, that of Nerone in Monteverdi's Coronazione di Poppea at Caramore, opposite Judith Raskin as his Poppea. There's a rather dim-sounding live recording of this, which I will share with you when I finally get around to producing my long-anticipated episode on the great Judith Raskin. So stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, we're going to stick with art song. The reason I mentioned Valletti's retirement from the operatic stage is because once he retired, he was invited by his father-in-law to join the family business, which was the production of pasta machines. 
He eventually became one of the directors of the company, and according to something that I read somewhere, he evidently became very wealthy as a result of this. Now, there's an interesting little aside here. He was married to the granddaughter of the Italian composer Ildebrando Pizzetti, whose work Assassino nella Cattedrale, Murder in the Cathedral, we heard on the Virginia Zayani episode a few weeks ago. On the first of his recital albums, Valletti sang a song by his wife's grandfather, a setting of Gabriele D'Annunzio's poem I Pastori, The Shepherds. September. Let's go. It's migrating time in the land of the Abruzzi. My shepherds leave the folds and go down towards the sea, towards the wild Adriatic, as green as the mountain pastures. They've drunk deeply from the alpine founts, keeping in their migrant hearts the comfort of their native water, whose taste beguiles their thirst as they journey on. They carry a furbished hazel staff and follow the beaten sheep track to the plain, as if along a river of grass that bears them over the footprints of their fathers. Listen to the cry of the shepherd who is the first to feel the trembling of the ocean, and now the flock walks along the shoreline. The air is still. The sun turns the living wool to gold, fusing it with the color of the sand. Gentle sounds of lapping water, trudging feet. Ah, why am I not with my shepherds? Oh, 
hanno verga d'Avellano. I'd like to say a word about Valletti's pianist in these recordings, Leo Taubmann. He was born in Germany in 1907 and died 
in New York City in July 1966 at the age of only 59. Because Taubman was a Jew, he was banned from working in Germany as early as 1933, and in August of 1935, he was expelled from the Reichsmusikkammer, a Nazi organization which determined what music was fit to be performed in the Third Reich. In 1937, with the help of Lawrence Melchior, he was able to emigrate to the United States and became well-known as an accompanist, working with singers such as George London, Birgit Nielsen, Cesare Siepi, Eileen Farrell, John Vickers, Regina Resnick, Lucretia West, and, of course, Cesare Valletti. In his New York Times obituary, Eileen Farrell is quoted as saying of him, he was well-informed in all schools of repertory, and he had a wonderful disposition that made him very easy to work with. He was married to the mezzo-soprano Suzanne Sten, whom he had met when he accompanied her in Europe. His obituary refers to him as having died after a four-week illness at the Hospital for Joint Diseases. But he's certainly a marvelous pianist. I have a few more excerpts for you from those live and studio recordings. First, from Berlioz's Les Nuits d'été, the last couple minutes of the third song, Sur les Lagunes. I offer this as further evidence of the strength of Valletti's low range, as well as the cri de coeur that he could summon up from these pathos-filled texts. Also very interesting to my ear is the fact that the Italianate quality of his vocalism is always present, yet I don't consider it to be intrusive, particularly because he doesn't really have a very thick Italian accent, but rather a way of inflecting the music that is very much a part of his Italian heritage. Oh, 
it's interesting that the two live concerts took place at Town Hall. Because just last week, I published a bonus episode for my Patreon supporters of Janet Baker's first New York recital in 1966 that also took place at Town Hall. That was the first of a series of what I hope are going to be weekly episodes featuring obscure gems from my personal collection of LPs. The recording that I'm going to offer this week is Valetti's final recital LP for RCA Victor entitled French Art Songs, which features songs by Debussy, Duparc, Fauré, and Renaldo Anne. This was released in 1965, and I will be offering the complete LP. And here is just a little teaser of Après un rêve by Gabriel Fauré, which we also heard Janet Baker sing last week as a teaser for that bonus episode release on Patreon. Patreon supporters this week, but if you would like to break that cycle and become a supporter, please go to patreon.com countermelody, and you too can become a supporter. In doing so, you will gain access to all of the great stuff that's up there. Sounds like a great deal to me. I'd do it. If I weren't producing this podcast, I'd definitely be supporting it. So give it a thought, and if you already are a supporter... My sincere thanks and deepest gratitude. The last songs that we're going to hear today all reference dreams, just like last week's main countermelody episode was all about dreams as depicted and enacted on the stage. So a future episode is going to talk about dreams in the song literature. But I thought it would be nice to end today's episode with just a little bit of harking back to that magic world of dreams. And there's quite a variety of dream literature that Valetti, in fact, sings. Of course, we heard last week him singing Le Rêve from Manon. And now we're going to hear from the second town hall concert, an English language version of the exultant Edvard Grieg song, A Dream. One day I dreamt a love. 
supreme song about dreams in an extremely beautiful performance by Valletti and Taubmann. This is Franz Schubert's Nacht und Träume, set to a text by Matthäus von Collin, all about the world of dreams into which humanity escapes from the difficulties of daily life. And then when the day reawakens, they call out, come back, holy night. Come back, beloved dreams. Oh, 
My dear friends, I am so honored to have been able to present this great singer to you today. He may have had a short career, but Cesare Valletti remains unforgotten by all of those who have been touched by his exceptional artistry. If I've been the conduit for that for you, I'm honored to have played that part, and I'd like to close the episode with the final three songs of Robert Schumann's Dichterliebe from, as I say, an original and extremely thought-provoking and imaginative performance of the cycle. As with his French and his English, Valetti's German is nearly accent-free, and any little telltale signs of his Italianness are heard more in his stylistic approach to the music than by any linguistic limitations. I'm going to play the songs without interruption. The first is Allnächtlich im Traume. Nightly in my dreams I see you, and you greet me in a friendly manner, and loudly weeping, I throw myself at your feet. You look at me wistfully and shake your fair head and from your eyes flow little tears of pearl. You whisper a word and hand me a cypress wreath. I awaken, the wreath is gone, and the word is forgotten. Aus alten Märchen winkte es. A hand beckons from olden fairy tales, where there are sounds and songs of a magic land. Heine goes on to describe all of the beautiful, mysterious things that occur in these dreams. And at the climax of the song, he says, Ah, if only I could reach out my hand and gladden my heart and be relieved of all of my pain. But alas, that land that I often see in my dreams, when the morning sun comes, it melts away. And the final song Die alten bösen Lieder describes how the poet is going to collect all of these old, bitter songs and dreams and put them into a huge coffin and have them carried away by twelve strong giants who will thrust the coffin into the sea. And the poet asks, Do you know why this coffin must be so large and heavy? because I'm also going to bury my love and my sorrow therein. Oh. 
Stärker sein als wie der starke Krieg. 
song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.